uh, take note. I think for all of us, I feel there's a sense of us sharing in this word. You know, often God points out a few people, but he also stirs it up in our hearts as well. It's interesting, you know, uh, I remember planting in Hillbrow uh, in 1982 uh, and just frustrated the church wasn't going. I used to walk around the auditorium, 1,400-seater Kinney High Point, and I used to confess 500, 500, 500, 500, 500, and I used to go and speak to the chairs, 500, 500. I used to pray and fast whole weekends just trusting God, and then on a Sunday, I go and stand behind the screen. Screens have got holes in them. And I'd count. One. Ten minutes later. Two. And then there'd be 35. <laughs> yeah, I was so frustrated. I remember a guy older than me in the Lord said to me, just try anything and hope it works. So I said, okay, well, give me some ideas. He said, you know, just letter drops or stand on the corner with the loud halo or adverts or whatever. And it, it was interesting how you looked for that one little thing. But it's not. It's in submitting our hearts to God. And there we find the breakthrough. And that was a hard lesson. It took me four or five years of banging my head against good ideas. And cool, I kind of said, okay, just have access to my heart, Lord. And it was difficult because uh, soon after that, we closed that, uh, fielded the guys out to some of the other churches and took 30 with us to Cornerstone and kind of, I remember walking in that day, it was that Sunday morning, what a relief, uh, we were doing outreach there on the, on, on the weekends into the early hours of the morning, running a church, working as well, uh, being asked by other youth groups to come and run camps and that, so we were quite busy, and to not have the responsibility of leading a church in that, it was wonderful, and as we came in, I remember Jim Lamont just hugging me and saying, you've come home, <laughs> It was such a cool feeling, but God was able to continue that work and restore a sense of the foundation. Did you hear? Yeah, you're good. You got it. <laughs> work on that. Don't ever stop with that. The future is going to depend on that. Now, how high we can go is going to depend on that. It is vital. I'm going to be talking about one of these foundational issues right here now. I kind of look for a, a preach that I thought would be appropriate or a passage of scripture to maybe just have a look at. And I just feel God's brought me back to, I've titled it, and apologies to Al Gore, a inconvenient truth. <laughs> because that's the Great Commission. It's an inconvenient truth. But the angle that I'm going to come across today, hopefully, will help us address foundational issues. We, we need to. We seriously need to. Because, like with me, uh, I was encouraged to go and look for ideas to fill an auditorium or to, you know, try and be attractive in some way. We are similar today, but yet it's even more tempting because those ideas are readily available. We can download them, buy them, or do whatever it is. But yet we have the privilege of reading the whole counsel of Scripture now. Scripture's been settled, uh, and we have an understanding of what the bottom line is. And that's what I want to talk about. And so if necessary, we need to go and readdress the foundations on how we raise believers and how we see our, our way forward as a church. You see, we can't belong to this household, meaning this partnership, and build local church and say we are reflecting what Christ is building and we don't build it this way. Uh, I want to be that strong. Uh, Paul often said to the churches, 
I'm going to remind you again. And he did exactly that. He reminded them again. And I would, he, he, he even went as far as saying, I want to admonish you. Are you remindable and admonishable? <laughs> are there issues in your life that are so set in concrete that God cannot challenge you? His word cannot challenge you. The foundations of that cannot be addressed because you're guardian over that. That's your little holy cow. Ons gaan braai vandag. And holy cows are going to be put on the braai so that we can get to what God wants us to get. It is serious. We, I feel we have a little period of like correction that God has given us, adjustment so that we can work on it in anticipation of what we know is about a break. We've, we've been given it. We have an opportunity for it so that we can fulfill what God's calling us to do. But we need to address these things. We've looked at it as an eldership, and we said, actually, we need to go back, set the foundations in place, get back to this place of, of Christianity is not about kind of filling seats and about, you know, respectable people in a community. There's a lost world, and there's a gospel that has to go out. And so that's what I want to do this morning. But because we are sucking a bit, all our friends have gone on holiday, and we're stuck in Joey's. We're going to watch a few movie clips. You happy with that? First one, loud, lights off, and let's watch the clip. Thanks. Top Gun.
Okay, I get it. Can the sermon, let's just watch the rest of the movie. If you ever watched the movie, that's sad. I do recommend you watch the movie. Uh, Kurt said, when I planted the Hillbrow Church in 1982, he was born in that year. <laughs> Things have come a long way since then. So when that movie came out, obviously the sale of leather jackets and Harley Davidsons and uh, sign-ups for the American Air Force went up. <laughs> you do realize that. But that to me is probably the most descriptive analogy of what church is meant to be. Serious. Uh, it, it is meant to be this battleship in the water that is capable of punching holes in the enemy's lines and forwarding the purposes of the kingdom of God. This picture is what a lot of times it has become. Not that one. The other one. There we go. <laughs> it's become the love boat. Right? What's the different emphasis? On that aircraft carrier, flip to the aircraft carrier picture, every single position on that boat, on that ship, every single, the cook, all the way to the logistics guys, to the engineers, to the pilots and everybody. Of course, everybody wants to be a pilot, but not everybody is a church planter. Not everybody is going to go and punch holes, but every other person supports what's going to happen. And that is the sole objective. They're in the water and they're going somewhere. So is the love boat. It's in the water and it's going somewhere. In the water and going to foreign destinations. But the objective is fun. And it's maximum amount of benefit to the people. And our gospel has become like that because we're desperate for signs of success. So we've tried to find ways to fill our church instead of mobilize our church. And th the difference with God is about mobilizing. Two other clips I want to show you that I found quite interesting. The first one is from a movie that I recommend you watch, but just have somebody with you and fast forward occasionally. Apocalypse Now, it's a, it's a movie that was made to, to really just talk against this mindless war in Vietnam. And it just shows the, the absolute stupidity of it. And one of the key places, in, at, if you go to Eastgate Movies, you'll see it. Uh, it says, uh, one of the key uh, one-liners in the movie is, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And then it Stack any court Eastgate, and it says, and of popcorn. <laughs> that's the advert for popcorn. But yes, that scene, and I'll explain it to you afterwards. So, lights off. Uh, 
That is one of the saddest points of the whole movie, parts of the movie. If any of you have seen it, he's got two surfers out there having a competition in the middle of a war. And the enemy starts bombing him. So he sends the, the bombers to go and take the enemy out with napalm. And it kind of just showed the futility of the war in Vietnam. They'd lost their way completely. Uh, there's nothing more terrifying than those fighters coming or those, uh, what were those? I don't know what they, if something, coming overhead. You can imagine the, the, the kind of sense of victory and power. Uh, but for the right reasons, awesome. But for the wrong reasons. And for me, that's just a little picture of the church having lost its way. The church having lost the very reason God gives us anointing and power and resources and an ability is for the sake of seeing the kingdom extended. And too often, it, it's kind of, it's to glorify a rock star preacher. That guy reminds me of a rock star preacher. He's got all this power behind him to kind of show off. Take that away from him. He's nothing. The power is God's. And, and he gives it to us for a reason. It's we cannot afford to lose the vision that God has given us in the church. And that, for me, is the starting point. If our vision is not what Jesus' vision is, and that's to see the nations discipled and to see our people become fishers of men. Then we need to undo everything and rebuild the church up on those foundations. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. He says, son, when I go there and I see what's happened after one of these napalm bomb, bomb attacks, you can't even find the people. And that's what America was known for in the, in the Vietnam War, was extreme cruelty for no reason at all. And that movie is a protest about that. And I just think of churches who've lost their vision and using all their power and might and influence to make people great or to have fun. It's not. We're in a war. And there's an enemy that needs to be dealt with. And we have got to mobilize our church to what God has called us to. Next one is a little more fun. comes from one of my favorite movies. And you'll all enjoy it as well. Walter Mitty. Here's the helicopter scene. <clears throat> everyone. Hi. Uh, hello, Nuke. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little nervous. 
This one goes out to Walter Mitty. He knows why. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom's. That is a good one to watch. It really is. The music in the movie is outstanding, and uh, the cinematography is awesome. But you get the point. I don't know if any of you have watched the movie. It's about daydreaming. It's about wishful thinking. It's about uh, pie-in-the-sky stuff. And the whole kind of point up to there was he'd always dreamt and daydreamed. There's a wonderful scene of him in, I think it's New York City, surfing you know, kind of riding his skateboard and surfing almost on top. You know, like the guy always dreamt up these things. But this is the moment when his dream became a reality and he risked it. And are you comfortable? No. This is an inconvenient truth. And until we're actually doing it, it doesn't matter how much daydreaming you do and how much wishful thinking you do, we've got to commit ourselves to this. We have to readdress our wallet We've got to readdress our home. We've got to readdress our marriage. We've got to readdress the very foundations of our life and put it together the way God wants it put together. He has called us to an adventure. I don't know, did you get that picture of just looking out into the vast open spaces? 
There's adventure waiting for us in God. It's, it's amazing how, how incredibly boring and predictable and confusing we make our discipleship when Jesus just within weeks of knowing these guys with the least amount of information just set them free. And he said, go and make, preach this gospel. Go, go out there. He, he knew that with them in the hands of the Holy Spirit, they were capable of doing what they'd been called to do. We first want to kind of take the fire out of them, take the, the zeal and passion out of them with endless Bible studies. And, you know, absolute, we want to bore them to pieces. And once they kind of in that place, then we want to try and mobilize the dead to get out there and to make a difference. They arrive alive. And then eventually we sit in there with people filling seats, making us feel good and our systems feel good. But that's not what God has called us to. We as leaders have got to find ways to do this. And I want to just address some of that this morning. The importance of this. We can't lose our vision with this. We can't. This isn't about, I tell you, if you think this is about you becoming famous or your church being a, a big influence on the planet, we need to get that thinking out of us. It's not about playing games. It's not. There's a war out there, and it's men and women's lives depend on it. It is that vital. And it's important that we start to realize that we are battleships, and there are air aircraft on there that need to take off. There, there, there are exploits that God has called us to. You can talk. Your elders can talk about it in your elders' meetings, and you can tell your deacons how cool it is. But until you actually climb into that helicopter, that guy the night before had got blottoed out of his mind. He should never have climbed in that helicopter. <laughs> there was no ways you would ever climb in a helicopter with that pilot. But you, there's going to be a thousand and one excuses to you getting involved with this thing, to you being a fisher of men, to you discipling the nations. There are going to be all of these excuses all the time. But we, we need to take a leap of faith. We really do. I just think of the example of the, of the Antioch church. And I know some of you heard me talk about it. Antioch church was not a, a big mover and shaker church. They weren't. Jerusalem, 25,000 people. You know, eventually when Ephesus is planted from Antioch, it becomes a major center and impacts the whole region. But Antioch was one of the churches that was responsible for taking the gospel to the world. They never had the resources that we know others had. But they impacted because they understood when Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, they did that. They obviously had prayed for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. Paul was in the prayer meeting. Come on. If Paul's in the prayer meeting, is he going to pray for a, a venue? Is he praying for chairs? Is he praying for carpets or sound systems? Is he praying for a church building? He is not. He is praying for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. They heard. I tell you, we need to start to pray. We need a year. We need a year. We literally need to open our ears and hear. Because I think there's a whole lot of stuff God is saying, opportunities that he's giving us that we're not hearing. Then they were obedient. And they did this. They sent their best. That's important. The Spirit of God is wanting to get the job done. So we don't send our top gun pilot. We send the guy who gets it right 50% of the time. No, you don't. You send your top gun pilot. We need to go and take out the enemy. We need to plant. So if God says separate so-and-so and so-and-so, I don't know the amount of times I've been on our stage 
and prayed over couples and teams that have gone out to plot. And just one, I just remember one time after a few of those happening, it just hit me and I started to ball on stage. These are my friends <laughs> and I'm all happy celebrating the nations, but there they go. Another couple, another couple, another couple. But that's the privilege we have of facilitating that. I've got over the identity issue that you send your best. I have 20 years of doing this. I understand. I'm definitely not the best. I have longed to go. I really have longed to be the, the, the top gun pilot out there, you know, pioneering. And I've shared those moments with many of our couples that have gone out. But that's it. They heard and they sent them out. I tell you, the stuff that happened out there would not have happened outside of them going. And we have a record of, I want to live that life. I want to see that kind of risk in what I'm doing. That had an influence on Antioch. And so the anointing out there impacted back home as well. Because they were under a liberty, an anointing of liberty and freedom. Uh, it's almost like we can stay in our meetings and we can, you know, eulogize and we can doctrinize and we can theorize and all the rest of it and we get so bored with all our talking or we can get out there and go make a difference the testimony they came back with wow that was awesome and the fact is that they did whatever they did and when they came back that those were plants growing and they went on to influence in a greater way Antioch had that opportunity to do that and when they came back yes the miracle the church was still there <laughs> no, but Paul and Barnabas had left. You, you just think of it now. You think, well, if I was, to, if Johann was to leave this church, it would just fall apart. Man, does that feel good? <laughs> You're right. You're right. And now that I'm back, it's all going to work out again. I think we need to get over ourselves. We really do. We need a serious look at how important we think we are. We not. It's him who's important. But he wants to take some of that wisdom and that expertise and send it out there. So they come back, the church is still there. That's the true test of if you've built apostolically. That's what God wants, is open hands. And it's just so important that we do that. But I have seen it. I tell you, there's this thing of we want, our, we want to look like love boats. We really do. We want people to see full auditoriums and all the great gifts. And, you know, we, we want the whole you know, Ephesians 4 team on our eldership, and, you know, we want to brag about that. It's not that. We've got to have open hands. And the very strongest and best gifts that God gives you could be the ones that he wants to send out and impact. So we do that. We keep our hands open. And it, it, the, the testimony is, if you do that, he just brings more. And we just have to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. But ask yourself, and I'm in particular talking to the guys who lead eldership teams, are you open-handed? And, and I've seen the tendency is we've got to try and keep them. We've got to try and keep them because we want to look good. We want to look famous. And then I loved this, and they stayed with them for a long time teaching. Awesome, that. Lovely picture. I want to be like that. Jerusalem, we had everything. They were a great city church. They had great resources. They had the 12 with them uh, and all sorts of you know, great figures and people of influence in the city and the rest of it. But they were dead. They were dead to the challenge. Later on, when Paul visits, you know what they say? We've just seen such a revival. And guess what? We've made them all obedient to the law of Moses. So when Jerusalem is sacked, that church 
never is rebuilt again as a church amongst the Jews. It's only a Gentile church after that. You want to kill a church. Do you want to kill whatever it is that God is wanting to do with you? Is forget about the apostolic. Forget about it. Ignore it. It's just an inconvenient truth because it's going to impact on everything. We've come through one of our toughest <laughs> financial challenges and we're still in the bit of it. Uh, but you know what? We refuse to give up on the fact that God has said, go. We cannot, for any reason under the sun, stop going. The minute we do that, we're dead. We're dead. Finished. That's as simple as it is. If you want to shut off what God is wanting to do in your lives, stop being a fisher of men and stop going. And so, for me, if I was to kind of challenge you and try and help you bring this down to a level that is kind of going to make some sense, it needs to be this, this thing of the individual fishers of men and the collective as a church is go and make disciples. And of course, as a team, that's what we're busy with, is we're busy with all of that. But if we're not thinking fishers of men, we're not going to go and make disciples. It, it's the, the same heart is expressed in all of that. It's the same thing. And we somehow have got to rescue all of that, fishers of men and making disciples, from project into lifestyle, kingdom values that we live by. So it should be the easiest thing for us to be a fisher of men. So right in the beginning, Jesus calls him and he says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So discipleship, I will make you. All of us have been, are busy with it. We, who, did you prophesy? The clay jar. Yep. So that's the way it works with, with God. <laughs> it's never convenient, discipleship. But somehow the human nature finds a place where we can be comfortable. Because this is the way we revise that little challenge. Follow me and I will make you. No, no, comfortable. That's what we preach. We do. Come into our church. The only thing we want you to do is fill a seat and tithe. That's it. And we'll have occasional projects where the lead elder will go out or one or two of the more affluent businessmen who got some money or whatever it is, or one of the two odd characters that can't kind of connect locally. So we send them out, the old missionaries. They were always the socially dysfunctional, and they liked the wild outdoors. So we'd give them a silver offering and use tea bags and clothing and say, go and change the world. So fortunately, we've recovered that. We have. But just imagine this now. Imagine the frustration with God. And we see it in the Jerusalem church. He is trying to disciple us. Jesus said, I'll build my church. I will make you. And now, in our minds, we're thinking comfortable, convenient. And he's saying, no, fishers are men. So right now, if we're not fishers of men, we're working against what he's trying to do. We need to start to pray what he's trying to do. Please make me a fisher of men. But we leave it to the A-type eight eight, eight characters or the evangelists. No, evangelists should teach us how to do it and show us how to do it. But all of us should be doing it. I'm just picking on one aspect in particular. But if, you know, and so we see programs that come out of other churches and we think, wow, actually all our lives should be wow. On a daily basis, it should be looking for opportunities to share the love and grace of God. 
It's amazing how uh, Matthew 28 is worded. Go and make disciples of all nations. Or it doesn't say that. Go and make disciples. I add all nations in because you need to read Acts 1.8 with it. Geography. Okay. And this thing of nations is... Um, Jonathan, the word? Ethnos. People groups. In other words, God is interested in other people groups and the gospel going to them. So baptizing them and teaching them to be obedient to everything that I've commanded you. So there's a whole lot of present continuous challenge. Keep going until it's, I come back or it's done. And keep discipling and keep baptizing and keep teaching people to be obedient. That's what it is. That's the whole process of local church. That's the repetitive thing we're always busy with. That is, I will make you into fishers of men. And the collective is we disciple in the nations because we plant churches. We don't just make fishers of men. We plant churches. We make disciples out of them. Then comes the promise. And in the King James, lo and lo. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, <clears throat> I'm with you even until the end of the age. Come on. Every one of you lead a church. What is your greatest prayer? Sunday, Lord, let, we need you to be with us. <laughs> oh, Lord, don't let this be me on my own again. Don't let it be. I, don't, I can't afford to do that. Lord, just one, one healing, one salvation. I often just see somebody's hat, and I say, I see that hand. Or <clears throat> just plant your son at the back and say, lift your hand up, boy. I see that hand. Doesn't matter if he gets saved. I just need some movement. The river's got to have a little bit of a flow. It's amazing how stupid we are. Well, I am. Or maybe me and Kurt, or maybe you. <laughs> but it's this issue. Why don't we do what God said we do, and then we guaranteed his presence? You know what his presence is? It's the supernatural. It's the provision. It's the doors. It's every flow of what God is about. I just remember when Israel had blown it with the golden calf, and God said, that's it. I'm not going with you anymore. I'm going to send you along with an angel. And Moses, we need that attitude. I'm not leaving you until you go with us. So there's only one way forward, and that is with you, Lord. So I just feel like I want that anointing. I want to operate in that place. But it's like we've become, I call it modern relic hunters. We're looking for gold flakes. We're looking for signs and wonders, but we've lost the heart of it. We, we really have lost the heart of it is go and make disciples. The heart of us is fishers as men. As you're a fisher of men, there I'm with you always. As you're making disciples of nations, there I'm with you always. When we look at the budget, we, we are astounded at what happened because it shouldn't have happened. And when we look at the manpower, we're astounded because it shouldn't have happened. That's the heart of God. And so then it impacts on how we raise people in our local church. It really does. And so I want to suggest that we examine those ways in which we do raise our believers and the way in which we present this gospel. Because basically the gospel is a partnership with Christ in doing what he came to die for. And in, uh, in Philippians 1, I think it's 5, Paul says to the, uh, the Philippians church, we are partners together in the gospel. So we partner with God, we partner with team, we partner in local church around the thing of the gospel going out. And I think as Tyron has pointed out a thousand times to us, the book of Acts context is 
or the New Testament teaching seems to suggest that the evangelizing was happening more out there and less here. So we like want to create an atmosphere to pull them in. This was more celebration, and it was how do we live our lives out there? Wildly so. It should be these aircraft going out. It should be inconvenient. Uh, Revelation 12, 11. Anybody quote that? And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they, here comes the inconvenient part, they loved not their lives unto death, so much as to shrink back from death. They never shrank back from anything. So if I understand that in the context of what we're saying, our victory over the enemy, our victory and our success in the world is the gospel, the blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony, the gospel in me, right? And then the gospel through me is loving not my life unto death. So that's what, it's, it's the gospel, the gospel in me, the testimony, and then it's me, the willingness to go out and to tell others about this great and amazing gospel. So the whole purpose of discipleship is to get me from being egocentric to being other-centered. That's what it is. Jesus said, we've got to love others as ourselves. That was his whole life, was teaching the disciples that, is how to love others. By your love one for another. Well, then, no, that's the kingdom. And so the whole purpose of discipleship, moving from egocentric to being other-centered, but the key is learning how to become Christ-centered. So when we become Christ-centered, we know how to love others. And so it's this thing of dethroning self. And so if we look at the, the scale, sitting and doing nothing to giving our lives up as martyrs, we've got to ask, where are we in that? Is this just a convenient thing, or do I present the gospel that way? Do I disciple people that way? Or do I disciple them with the fact that we are actually called to lay our lives down for this gospel? And to be inconvenienced means to get up early and to pray. To be inconvenienced is to, is to ask God for, for, for those that he wants to reach through us and to pray for them and to look for opportunities and to go and sell what I have for the sake of seeing this kingdom extended, and to put aside whatever big projects I have for the sake of seeing churches planted. You see, here's the issue. Antioch didn't wait to become the size of Jerusalem. It just was obedient. And often in our minds, we've got some kind of precondition. We really have. We've got a preconditioned budget. We've got a precondition when I get 10 leaders. We've got a precondition when I get 50 people. None of those are in Scripture. The only thing is to go. And the only thing is if Christ is busy making me, discipling me, I'm going to become a fisher of men. So I'm frustrating the purposes of God by not becoming a fisher of men and just learning to be as hard as ignoring God and making my, my Christianity a convenience to me because the rest of the stuff is rubbish. And so we turn our preaching down, we turn our discipleship down, and we just preach what's comfortable because we're happy they came in the doors. No, that's not what God said. We ought to teach them how to be fishers of men. And then we become comfortable with being fruitless. No, no, God has said any size, any person, anywhere, because there's no other precondition to it. He just said, go. He just said, go. He just said, go. And we, 
we somehow just attach so many other preconditions to it. So I want to challenge us with that. You know, it's that Paul writes about this thing, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Doesn't that shock you? You know, Paul has to say to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Wow, that's quite a statement to me. But if I look at my life, I can summarize it a lot of times as I'm ashamed of the gospel. I don't use every opportunity. And I believe God has called us to do way more than we can. At times, it is inconvenient and it scares the living daylights out of me. Sitting on an eldership team with at least 10 of the team have got some kind of vision for going out. And I think, no, I can't lose that one. I can't lose that one. No, but that's why we exist. And so I want to challenge you with that. And I want to pray for you with that. And I want to trust God with you. So that we, in this pause moment, almost like God's giving us an opportunity to get it together. You see, a move of God in revival is not to fill your chest so that people can remark on LRC's greatness or Cornerstone's greatness. It's our nations that need to hear about Jesus Christ. And there are churches that need a plot. Right? Let's pray together. Father, we do believe that we need to be reminded again and again and again until, like Walter Mitty, our little fantasy starts to become a reality and we start to get involved. And then we realize, like Walter Mitty, the true heroes are not the great photographers or the big men. It's the priesthood of all believers, the normal, ordinary people. And so I pray that you'd help us as leaders, this team sitting here now, to catch this first so that we can lead our people into this. Because our people are going to catch, literally catch what we have, Lord. And if we're grumpy, if we're bitter, if we're dialed out and if we're bored, and if somehow we've reduced our Christianity to sitting and convenience, doesn't matter what we preach, <clears throat> They're going to catch that. So I pray you help us as a starting point to get our act together, to get our hearts sorted and to address those foundations so that we can lead our people into the inheritance that is theirs. And where we've lost opportunity, we know. Scripture assures us that whatever the uh, locusts have come and destroyed, you will restore. And so I pray for that. As we sort our hearts out, you'd help us restore. And I pray that we would see like never before, Father, church planting, reaching out, impacting, helping establish base churches across this planet who would do exactly the same, that we'd be able to multiply that. So in our journey, each of us is in a, a place. Please help us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, just for your info, can we go back to that lead elders thing, which is church planters? Uh, we've got Bruce Bench, Josh's dad, is going to be out teaching some of those sessions. We've got Eddie Bucker, he's an incredible man of faith, he's going to be teaching the session. And we've got uh, Matt Jones, who planted in the UAE in uh, Abu Dhabi, and he'll be doing, and we've got some of our local stars, in inverted commas who've transitioned and planted, who will be taking some of those sessions. Great refresher if you do lead a church to come and kind of learn. And if you 
are thinking of leading a church to come and learn. It's not just if you're going to plant in the next year. So uh, just kind of write in or phone into the Cornerstone office and we'll make sure that uh, we cater for you as well. Cool. Johan.